Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the second interview of the Catalyst Podcast. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine, Jamie Harvey Wilms. She is an artist, a professor, and the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Washington County. Jamie is just a great person. There's a lot to learn from from her. She's achieving success in a lot of unique ways. So, um, so buckle in. Two hours ahead. Enjoy. Thank you. Well, welcome, Jamie, to Thank the you. second episode, second interview of the Catalyst Podcast. Um, so I'm really excited to have you today. I think I was just saying it now, but I was really excited for this because you are, I mean, I've known you since, what, 2016, 2017? When did you come to West Bend? Um, we've lived in Wisconsin for five years because we've been married for five years. So okay. yeah, what was five years ago? 2015, 2016? 2015? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because I remember when you started at the Boys and Girls Club, I, I, I was still at Kewaskum. Like, I'd see you pass by, you'd always be talking to Maggie, and I never really talked to you. And I was, honestly, I was kind of, like, intimidated. I'm like, wow, this girl is, like, there's a lot of energy. There's She's a lot of real passion. bossy. Yeah, yeah, In, there's like, the a little bit way. of that. Oh, no question. And I don't know, like, there was some, like, I'm like, I don't, I mean, I, I never really was in West Bend, but, like, there was, like, this slight, honestly, like, slight intimidation. Like, dude, there's a lot, lot of energy here, and I'm like, I don't know if I can engage in this. Um, but then... I, you know, shortly after, obviously we got to know each other and, um, but I'm just, I honestly, I've been really looking forward to this podcast. I've been talking to a lot of people about this one, people that we both know, people that you wouldn't know that are good friends of mine. And, um, just your, your passion is second to none when it comes to honestly, just about everything you do. Um, thank you. You are an individual that is, you're just a, a very kind hearted person, but you're also very realistic. So although you, you know, you'll, you'll speak your mind, you'll make sure people understand how you feel about some subject, but you know, you really are a, you, you're a solid person. You're a good person. And I've been looking forward to this because I think you have a, a really unique story, uh, a story that's jumped around, um, <laughs> from, from the beginning to where you are now and even where you want to go. So I'm just really excited to share with everybody just who you are and where you've been and how you've, how you've done it because I think there's a lot of people out there that have maybe similar experiences um, have a similar situation uh, past present um, similar goals and they don't know where where exactly they're going or how to get there but you're an individual that's kind of seemed to figure out some of some of what it takes to be successful so I'm excited for that so yeah yeah, yeah I'm excited to be here I think um, I was listening to some of your episodes and uh, and then when you also sent the questionnaire, I think I wrote, you wrote, you asked where to next and I wrote, ha 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 ha. So, um, yeah, if there's anything I can share, um, I believe in transparency. I think it, it is part of vulnerability and it makes us all better humans. So, um, I'm excited to be part of something titled the catalyst, you know, yeah. like that's kind of a, a cool thing. It's not a word I use often. So, um, it's also interesting to have somebody else kind of term you as successful, right? So yeah. it's like, oh, am I? I guess that maybe I did something right. Um, and then on another note, uh, Max and I worked together at the Boys and Girls Club, uh, but in separate spaces. So um, before I knew Max, I don't, I wasn't intimidated by you. I had no idea who you were. <laughs> um, 
I was pretty kind of head down trying to survive at that point in my life. And, um, but you were just getting married. And somebody sent a text out and was like, hey, Max could use some volunteers on his wedding day. And I remember texting uh, my boss at the time being like, who the hell is Max? <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's really kind of funny to watch that full circle back, you know, to like dinners with Setonia and um, weddings that we've been to together and friendships that have evolved from that strange day where I was probably talking very excitedly to Maggie. So <laughs> oh, yeah. no question. So yeah, so I guess the you know the best place to start here is just I want the listeners to know who you know who is Jamie. What are you about right now? And then what we'll do after that is we'll dive into what's what's brought you to this point. You know what are those you know significant pieces of your story, your upbringing, the times in high school, college, your career, whatever those pieces might be that have that have honestly whether it's those failures, those moments where it's just like damn Mm -hmm. this is not where i wanted to be but obviously you're here now so you you grew from it and then those moments of like wow like i did it like this Mm -hmm. is a huge achievement for me and you know in those there's obviously lessons that i think the listeners can take so um so that's kind of the direction where we'll go so i'll let you kind of take it from there and i'll poke and prod with questions and we'll, we'll see how this goes cool um, well, hello, everybody who listens to The Catalyst. Um, uh, like Max said, my name is Jamie Harvey Wilms. Uh, I have two last names. Um, my husband and I took each other's names, which is, I think, really cool. Um, but I am originally from Maplewood, Minnesota, just outside of the Twin Cities. Um, I grew up there. My parents were loving and awesome. My siblings, you know, we did the whole... TP each other's bedrooms, draw on each other's faces uh, when you're sleeping kind of thing. And um, so uh, pretty wholesome, you know, storybook growing up. Um, And uh, I got a bachelor's degree from the University of South Dakota. Um, From South Dakota, um, I went on to SUNY Albany, um, which is the State University of New York, where I got a master's degree in sculpture. Um, all the while kind of working with kids, working with families. I think at one point I like cheesily wrote on my resume, like an expert in education from zero to 90, because I had been working in like a hospital, uh, and intensive care units as an artist. It was with really, really young kids. And I had been working in nursing homes with people that were 104, you know? So I was like, uh, I understand people. Um, and so uh, those, those kind of skills and opportunities that I was working in, um, led me to Wisconsin. Um, I met my husband in New York. He coincidentally was also from Minnesota. So I think moving back to the Midwest was inevitable. So we came here and then I got a job at the Boys and Girls Club, um, as the art director and that grew and grew in capacity, um, until there was a point where, um, I needed to leave and try something new. And so today, uh, I'm the executive director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Washington County. And um, I also uh, am a professor at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. So I kind of ride the line between art and working with nonprofits and people um, pretty constantly. (laughs) Um, I do think they knit together, and I'm sure we'll dig into that, but... um, if I had to summarize my life in 
46 seconds, that would be it. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I think where I want to start is, you know, honestly from the beginning, right? I think there's there's a lot to dig from where you came from and what that means for the person you are today. And I think two of the pieces would be, you know, the, the impact that your family had on mm-hmm. you. And I know at, at some point in, in your little pre-work you had mentioned like the, the conservative religious yep. aspect. And then I think the, the sense of community. So when sure. you think about those three pieces, can you just kind of describe that that experience? I think to, you know, explaining like the, the you know, where you came from. Mm-hmm. Like, what did that community look like? How big was it, et cetera? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's dig into that a little bit and tell us about what that experience was, was and how, how has that impacted your, honestly, your, your views on mm-hmm. life and how you interface with life on every day? Uh I think for a lot of people, uh, and I would imagine for a lot of your listeners, faith, um, whether it's whether you're Muslim or Christian or, or Jewish, has probably informed some part of your identity. Um, I think especially when I look at my parents' generation, it's a generation of faith. Um, so um, I was raised in a very conservative Christian uh, home um, that put a lot of um, value on kind of sitting around the dinner table every night saying, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, you know, um, saying your prayers before you go to bed. Um, I went to private school. So trigger warning for all of your listeners. Um, I come from an insane amount of privilege, um, in that, uh, I am a white, a heterosexual white woman who went to private school from age three to 18. So, um, that doesn't mean it was insanely easy. It just means that my parents put pressure and um, priorities in certain areas. And one of those was education. And I did a private Lutheran education. So um, I grew up in a church that was uh, conservative kind of in every way possible. Um, you know, v- very... Um, it kind of this weird perspective that I don't understand really anymore of hate the sin, not the sinner. So when it comes to LGBTQ people, it was their burden to bear. Um, and they weren't supposed to act on their sin. Um, and that sin was equivalent to murder and equivalent to stealing a pencil. So when you have that kind of mentality, I think you carry around a backpack of guilt wherever you go. Um, but you also have this really strange, and I think beautiful relationship with the people that are around you because you all have this intense desire to um, put something good out in the world because you've been carrying the weight of sin your whole life. So, um, you know, I think it was a motivator uh, of, of growing up in this kind of this idea that I'm sinful and nothing I can do will actually make it better, right? So only by faith would I be saved. Um, but also then me as a person being somebody who loves control and loves being in charge and uh, doesn't like to be told what to do. Um, you know, those two things I think war warred with each other for a long time in a way that I wasn't able to fully recognize until I hit college. So... Um, there's been a, a long journey between that kind of conservative Christian upbringing, uh, upbringing I apologize, um, and where I've landed today. But I think a lot of it is centered in love. Um, my best friends and I always joke that we were forged in the fire um, because I, you know, some of my 
closest people who are kind of the guardians of my heart I've known since I was three. And we went to these schools together and we realized that we could be humans um, separate from a religious identity or kind of still tied into it, you know, and gave each other the permission to grow in a way that um, I don't know if everybody has that experience, you know, especially coming from that kind of a background. So, um, yeah, so it built community. It built a steadfast belief in there's something good out there. And it also built a very strong core within me about leaving the world a better place than I was. it was brought to me. Yeah. So if my job is to, you know, bear good fruit, if I'm going to use like Christian words, um, then my job is to make sure the world is a really good place. And um, while I have degrees in art, and that is, I think, my truest calling is to make stuff, um, uh, I also very much believe in making the world a better place for my neighbor. Um, and that is separate from from faith um, at this point, um, but it is also still tied into faith. So it's really complicated. It's this wacky teeter-totter that bounces back and forth and gives me headaches. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I resonate in a lot of ways because I grew up, um, I mean, we really didn't start doing the church thing until I was like in, in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when we got there, you started to realize like there's there's a community here of people mm-hmm. that are really, I mean, of all different backgrounds, all different belief systems, whether that be, uh, you know, more so obviously like political, um, you know, how they maybe view the community, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Um but yet at the same end, they they had this driving force that brought them together, that allowed them to to honestly live in a more cohesive way, mm-hmm. even though there was differences amongst the, yep. the, the body, right? Um, and I think to, to your end, and I can speak to that as well, is that you, you learn that you can bring a lot of people together around, you know, under one flag. Yeah. Um, as long as the flag stands for something something good, something that can really drive better mm-hmm. community, you know, improve people in their life situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously when you think about what you're doing, big brothers, big sisters, me at boys and mm-hmm. girls clubs, yep. it's just like, you can kind of see how that, how those beliefs, how those values have impacted what it is that we're doing. Absolutely. I think it's like, uh, it's a love for your neighbor, mm-hmm. right? And then it's also, um, you know, whatever you think about Jesus, he was a pretty cool dude who hung out with some pretty sweet people and then yeah. worked really hard to make their lives better. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, is is to be celebrated yeah. and it is a great example, yeah. right? You know, and I don't want this to become like a podcast about faith, um, but I, I really, I, you know, when we talk about foundations of what I do now, um believing that people can make better choices, believing that people can are maybe making choices because they don't have another choice. And then also believing that I can make a difference. It all comes from that community that was really safe and um, loving towards me. Um, And, you know, I think it created this maybe false sense of security and bravado that I was like, yeah, of course I can do anything, you know, that has led me to a point of like, at one point in my life, I was in a van 
driving up Mount Vesuvius with a guy with a coke nail that was three inches long and he like pulled over with this bag of I don't know what and gave it to this woman in a hut and of course the whole time I'm like I'm fine you know like I probably wasn't but there's this sense of security that I think came with that type of childhood that then allowed me to think okay if I'm okay with the guy with the coke nail driving up a mountain in a foreign country I'm also okay if I want to shoot for this position that I'm totally underqualified for. And I'm totally okay to ask this guy to donate $40,000 to my nonprofit, even though I have no business like meeting with this person. Like we're not, you, this guy put in 70 years of work to be able to cut that check to a nonprofit. Um, and I'm like two years out of waitressing, you know, like, <laughs> like it's like, right. what, what is this life? Um, so it's a false sense of security, absolutely, um, and maybe like way too much confidence in ego. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a lot where whether you believe in the, you know, I guess the spiritual aspect of the religious piece or not, there's something to be said about the honestly what I always look at is like the discipline that mm-hmm. you put into the values and holding those, you know, as evident in your daily life. And putting those to work, you know, mm-hmm. you, whether you believe that, you know, Jesus was God and that you're right. going to go to heaven. The fact is like bringing it back to like the, again, I don't want to make this a faith. Yeah, I know. It's like, I, I love, <laughs> I love what Jesus stood for though. And I think we, we miss a big part of this in society. And I think this is also why you are successful in the ways that you are, because, you know, Jesus, um, put himself out there with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, he was with the sinners. He was with the prostitutes. He was with the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And he was in their presence, right. right? He wasn't holding himself back. And that's how he mm-hmm. knew he could build a better world, a better community. Mm-hmm. And I think I see that. I mean, I've seen that in you since I've known you is that you aren't afraid to put yourself out there with anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you just said, you drove up a mountain with a pretty <laughs> like, uh, crazy individual, probably <laughs> dropping off some, some goodies to some lady and, and you know, I'm yeah. Mount Vesuvius, but you know, you, you put yourself out there to do the things you want to do and you build that confidence in mm-hmm. yourself to say, Hey, this is where I want to go. This is what I do. You know, you're going to run into some obstacles, mm-hmm. shady figures, but you just develop that confidence in yourself that you have what it takes to achieve the goal mm-hmm. and that you're prepared to handle the, the craziness along the way. Yeah, it's like a confidence and ego thing. And then also maybe a faith in like I was loved as a child thing. You know, like I think those things add up. Um, but it adds up to a, a thing too where it translates to what I do with Big Brothers Big Sisters where I feel like I – you know, here's my ego, everybody. Trigger warning again. Um, I grew up in a loving household mm-hmm. and have the empathy, dignity, and confidence to shoot for what I want. Um, and so I feel like that is proof that if I can put somebody who will love and defend the potential of a child into their life and maybe create space for a parent to also develop that dignity, empathy, and confidence, you know. I'm doing what I was called to do, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, and called to do, that's another very Christian phrase, which yeah. is pretty obnoxious. So I apologize. We can we can stop talking about Jesus now. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. What I want to quick hit on, though, yeah. you know, to you, 
when I got to know you a lot better at the Boys and Girls Club, mm-hmm. and I started getting more involved with understanding what you did in that art room, there was a saying that you repeated all the time, which was dignity and respect. Yep. Constantly. Uh-huh. And I, I want to dig into that a little bit, and I'm, I'm curious, and this is just kind of speculation, but... You know, obviously you grew up in that loving household where you you embellished that but was you know it sticks with you so hard why why does that dignity dignity and respect yeah. stick with you so hard and then it kind of two-part like why does that resonate so much with you and then you know how can others because you, you and i think we've seen it a million mm-hmm. times over working with the youth mm-hmm. when we can learn to teach them how to you know how, how to have dignity and respect in their own life for themselves yep we see a miraculous opportunity and mm-hmm. change in their lives. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Dig into that a little bit. So um, I didn't realize I was in the work of dignity. Uh, and I've, I think I've been in the work of dignity since I was probably 18. You know, when I was 18 or 19, I took my first job working as a CNA in a home for people with disabilities. And um, there's no greater measure, I think, of a human than when you're taking care of somebody that has no idea you're taking care of them and you still treat them like a human, right? So um, in that job, I was taking care of people who were quadriplegics, who also maybe had um, some type of delay. Um, I was taking care of people who were schizophrenic, maybe bipolar, nonverbal, and, you know, like it was every diagnosis under the sun and maybe also wheelchair-bound. And um, I realized really quickly, because I was the overnight staff, so I would work on the weekends. Um, I don't recommend working overnights in college (laughs) at all. Um, But I would be the only person there in a house of nine people who are severely disabled. And I realized very quickly that how I treated them was not necessarily a measure of, of their value as a human, but of like how I saw myself, right? Like nobody's there to check on me and I'm supposed to go every 30 minutes and check on a certain person in the night to make sure their apnea mask is on. And I'm supposed to, um, you know, make sure everybody's up on time to get a shower in the most dignified way possible. And it's very easy to not do that, right? So um, I started to learn at that point about what dignity and respect meant Um, especially too with people whose families weren't checking in. Mm -hmm. And so then I became this backbone who they maybe even never recognized me. They may, they never said my name. Um, but it, it changed really quickly at that point. And then the second turning point for me, um, was, um, I've been to Haiti a couple times as like a artist in residence. Um, a friend of mine works, and she's like a program director for a very large nonprofit that works on economic development in Haiti. It's a country with 70% unemployment. And they have a feeding program. Um, they have a school. They have, and then they, they, after those, and a water delivery program. And then they started hiring Haitians to run these things. And they built a cafe so Haitians could run things. And, you know, so it's not just Americans coming down with this savior complex and tons of dollars. It's how do we solve systematically the issues that are happening in this country? Um, and the answer is employment, because when you have a job, there's dignity mm-hmm. and respect. And when you feel dignified, your confidence goes up. 
when your confidence is up, you have the ability to empathize with somebody without taking away from who you are. And so um, going down to Haiti and um, kind of uh, navigating a world where people um, people kind of take what they've been given, right? Because Americans send clothing down by the truckload there, but they have holes and stuff. And that's actually not very dignified, right? Um, we're not giving them the best of ourselves if we really want to make this a true gift. Anyway, those two experiences started to knit together this idea that if you dignify people and you give them the space to succeed and you, you know, it's not picking yourself up by your bootstraps, it's making sure that somebody has a pair of boots. Yeah. <laughs> um, as soon as you do that, people start to change. And they start to pivot. And um, not everybody needs to be like me, but everybody does need to have the access that I've had. So so those experiences um, really informed the way that I um, have approached people. Um, and then I should say there's a third component. Art making is the most confidence-building thing you can possibly do, right? To make something out of your hands um, that came from your brain um, is is a super dignified experience. Like it's it's capacity building, it's skill development, it is um, emotional stability too. It's expression. Um, it has so so much value. Um, in the same way that I'm like deeply envious of musicians and singers because like they can make something without needing a tool, right? Like yeah. that's like so incredible to me. Um, but to loop it all together. So now I'm providing dignity and confidence to people in a very like programmatic direct way. And then the the flip side of that is when you're able to empower somebody through skill development. And I think that's what art making does. Yeah. That's a really long answer. No, that was great. Sorry. And what I, <laughs> no, that's, that's the beauty of what I do with this podcast is I don't want it to be just this like right. 30 second, two minute, like, you know, sound bite. Yeah. I want, I want, I want that. Yeah, you so want the perfect. chewy stuff. Yes, ma'am. You know, in in that, so you kind of talked about how you you know you give that to you give dignity and respect to others, and mm -hmm. you, but you did talk about like art, and I think yeah. you can obviously look. What I'm what I want to do is kind of look at and say, how does Jamie mm -hmm. build her own dignity? How do you build your own respect? Oh man! And I think you talked on the mm -hmm. art making yep. and how that that is very evident. And I got another question about that for for our listeners because I'm one of those people that. I am not artistic, right? <laughs> but I also don't engage in trying anything. So I got a question mm -hmm. for, for that after this. Sure. But, you know, in terms of the dignity and respect, because I'm a true believer, right? Especially like in leadership. Mm -hmm. You can tell when someone is a leader that does not lead themselves. To be the best leader possible, I truly believe you have to lead yourself. Like if you can't get yourself out of bed with purpose, mm -hmm. intention, strategy, mm -hmm. how in the hell are you going to do that for, especially your team, yeah. your family, other people like if you can do that for yourself i think you do it at a higher level for others so you know when it comes to dignity respect confidence empathy mm -hmm. how do you give approach, that you know, how do you give that to yourself and how do you build that in yourself um you know i'm a firm believer in draining your cup until it's absolutely empty um you know uh that's a really great question uh i think specifically um I have, I, I've mentioned it a few times, I have a huge ego. Um, I have to knock it down sometimes. I think I am capable of doing just about anything. And that's a problem. 
I shouldn't fight a bear, but if a bear came my way, yeah. I might fight a bear. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that actually, if I can speak to, if I can pivot that just a little bit to yeah. cup filling, um, uh, when my cup is empty, um, I have surrounded myself, and I'm, I'm, I am incredibly uh, fortunate and blessed to have a community around me that recognizes when my cup is empty. And um, I think before I said the phrase guardians of my heart, it sounds so cheesy, but I have a circle of, you know, probably eight people who literally I feel like hold my heart and my head in their hands and they see when my cup is empty and they work really, really hard for me to refill it. Um, for example, my husband, um, I think he's, I think he's pretty hot. I think he's pretty great. He's funny, but Honestly, one of the biggest reasons that I love him and I wanted to be with him for the rest of my life is because he fought harder for my independence than I did and continues to do so. Um, for example, you know, today I was like, oh, I still haven't finished the the molding around the front door, you know, because we're, re- we're renovating a home. And I was like, I got to get to that before the weather turns too cold. And I wanted to go to the studio. And he's like, you need to go to the studio. So here in my head, I'm like, okay, I need to do this thing that is for him, for I, for our future. And he's like, wait, no, 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 no. When was the last time you went to your space and made your things? Um, you know, uh, my best friends one year for Chris or for my birthday bought me a gift card to Warby Parker so that I would finally get myself glasses, you know, like, <laughs> because sometimes I do put some of that stuff on the back burner. Yeah. Um, so that how do I build the dignity, empathy, and confidence? I think I have almost a long-term, unintentional strategic plan of just putting people in the positions around me to make sure that I can continue to survive, Um, uh, which is probably a lame duck answer. But um, I I really think that it's, it's, it's those people that have allowed me, you know, it's the girl gang who's hyping me up every morning in a text and who's like hey should I buy this table oh that coat looks great also feminism badassery and like yeah. you know defund the police you know or like whatever you know it's like a whole and and do we understand defund the police are we holding each other accountable you know not to you know I'm just like it's everything yeah. right and it's those people that put those pieces together for me um, and they also chew me out when I'm being an idiot so that's really nice yeah so I'll get back to that question yeah. I asked what I was thinking about with the whole art thing because yeah. I'm not artistic and all whatever because mm-hmm. I have more of that I, I kind of picked out of there. Um, what I want to highlight, what you just talked about was, and I think this is a good moment for us to probably recognize, like that's that's one of your areas where you struggle, like not not balancing <laughs> your cup, right? Not Correct. not taking, you know, there's, you know, as they say in the wintertime, a quarter mile is, or a quarter tank is empty. Yep. You know, you, you, there's that limit where, yeah, you can still go below, but it's not ideal for the conditions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I as well have struggled with. I also uh, run out of gas all the time. Like literally. I'm not surprised. Physically and metaphorically, <laughs> I run out of gas. My husband, I can't tell you, he would, if he listens to this, he'll be laughing so hard because the amount of times I've called him, I'm like, I ran out of gas again. He'll be like. You dumbass, you know, like, yeah. you know, you watch the, the thing go down, like, yep. yeah, so uh, physically and metaphorically, I do that, so. 
I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's okay. It's this, is, fine. this is why we, we still love you. <laughs> but what you just hit on, you know, it, it's something that you struggle with, but you know, you mentioned it was kind of unintentional, but at the same end, right, you, you, you think about where your past was, that community you mm-hmm. talked about, you understood in the back of your mind, your community is so valuable. So as whether it was intentional or not, but I'm sure you can also speak to that idea that as you've moved along in life, you've purposely disengaged, cut out mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. situations, whatever out of your life that were not you yes. know, good influences that probably drained your cup. Yep. Or if anything, when you went to them while your cup was low, they somehow still found a way to drain it even more. Yes. Right. But I think what you're hitting on is even though, you know, to me, you are a very successful person. <laughs> and I think there's so many parts of what you've accomplished just at the age of 30, right? Mm-hmm. That it's it's really amazing to see what you're doing and the potential of where you're going to go. Um, but the point is, mm-hmm. like, the people around you, there's a, I forget exactly where the first time I heard the saying, but um, the saying goes, you know, your, your net worth is your net work. And then they followed it up to say, it's not just, you know, your monetary income, because there's like some, um, I don't know if it was a anecdotal or if mm-hmm. it actually was true to reference to like some research or study. But, you know, if you look at the five closest people around you, chances are your income is comparable to theirs. Mm -hmm. But then there was another, um, it might have been the same conversation, maybe some other conversation podcast I listened to, but they started saying, you know, it's not just the money in your bank. Mm -hmm. It's the values you hold. It's Mm -hmm. the behaviors that you engage in. It's it's the type of other, you know, the situations you put yourself in. Um, And so it's so vital. And that's something that I think if the listeners didn't already pick up is who you surround yourself with is crucial mm-hmm. and i think too at the other end of it right we we go to work we go to um family functions we go to whatever situations we have in our life and there's going to be people there that aren't those people that add value mm-hmm. they aren't helping to balance our cup fill our cup and you can't get away from that at some point there are controllable people that mm-hmm. situations that you can disengage Mm -hmm. distance or completely cut out but it's so important that you have that group Mm -hmm. that that circle that you can go to because otherwise you drain your cup and if you're the only person to fill your cup Mm -hmm. i mean i can't say i've really met anyone that's able to do that on their own you know i I, you know i think maybe the only person i can think of off the top of my head i don't know if you ever heard david goggins I don't think so. Ex Navy SEAL, he is a Ugh. crazy. He's crazy out of my field mofo. of reference. Then <laughs> I, I gotta, I'll get you some information on him. I mean, his his story is absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. The way that he drives himself, maybe a little like, uh, maybe unhealthy. A little sure, point. but at the same end, I mean, the, the success that he's achieved mm-hmm. in life is beyond. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll share with you a little bit mm-hmm. more. But I think what's important is just like how you you've just described. It's so important just mm-hmm. to surround yourself. And at the same end, like you're human, like you're right. going to run yourself out. And that's just the part of how it goes. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting, too, because I think a, a huge part of building a successful network, you know, that your net worth is your network, you know, like looking at the people, you know, if I look at the the eight people who surround me, you know, that um, you know, I talk to constantly or whatever. Um, one of my best friends was Minneapolis is 32 under 32, you know, another one has been promoted every year at her time at a huge global company. Uh, one of my good friends 
uh, is gr- graduating from Johns Hopkins <laughs> this year. You know, my husband is uh, an engineer who has been climbing the ladder at his company since for two years. It's like every six months something hey, I got this promotion. It's like a little insane. Um, And sometimes I feel like I tripped and fell into these relationships. Um, And then at the same time, I realized that you're right. There are these moments where maybe you do cut somebody out because they're not feeding the pieces of you that you need to, that need to be fed. Um, And then, you know, in hindsight, you know, you look back on that relationship four years later and you're like, oh, they were also removing this and they didn't, they didn't climb the way that the rest of us did, you know, and, and not in like a, you're not as successful as me, you know, I'm going to cut you out way, but in a, maybe there was like something negative about it that just wasn't feeling right. Maybe there was, um, jealousy from both sides, you know, about certain perspectives, um, I feel very fortunate. Again, like I said, I should. I want to reiterate that I am a white cisgender, um, master degreed woman uh, who who has every privilege afforded to me. So the amount of success that um, I have has been um, a, a lot of brute force and hard work. I'm not going to discredit myself that way. Um, but it, it is also that when I, I'm given the benefit of the doubt, whatever room I walk into, Um, And that's something that as I took over for Big Brothers Big Sisters that I've really learned is that more opportunities have come my way because the letter CEO are behind my name. And when I walk into a room, I'm a mediocre looking blonde woman, you know, it like it, it is with degrees behind my name. And those are things that um, were expected of me. I was expected to go to college. You know, my parents had invested a lot in my education at that point. But um, it was expected that I would get married. It just so happened that I did meet an incredible person that I wanted to, you know, keep. Um, But so much of that success I I don't take for granted in that I know doors were opened because they were just open. Right? So then the next piece of that becomes like, how do I make sure they stay open? For anybody who looks a little bit different or acts a little bit different or has a different type of life or a different journey than I did. So I, I do I do want to say I don't – we're talking about success in this kind of abstract way. Mm-hmm. But some of that success is just because America was built for people that look like you and I. No question. You know? No question. So. And I think too that you just talked – you just hit it on the head. One of the questions I wanted to ask next was, you know – you the door was open for you, mm-hmm. right? How do we keep that door open? But at the same end, right? There's there's that piece of just because the door is open doesn't mean that you're going to go through it. it. Doesn't mean you have <laughs> yes. the confidence. Doesn't mean you have the skill right. set. Like there is that piece of you, like you talked about, port. There was there was brute hard work mm-hmm. that you had to put in to get yourself to the door to walk through the door because mm-hmm. sometimes there may have been some steps up to that door. Some of them, I mean, it was like a, probably like a, a like you hopped on a slide and it's like whoop right, right. through, not mm-hmm. not a problem. But at the same end, you know, there, there's work that you have to put in to still have the ability to walk through that door. And that's where right. what I love about you is you know the privilege you have. But you also it's know insane. to not discredit yourself because that's not that's not fair to you at the same end, right? Well, it's also not fair to whomever comes after me, yeah. right? Especially as like a woman. So like uh, a common 
person that we know and love. Um, he may be able to go golfing on a Friday and get a $60,000 donation because he went golfing with somebody. Yeah. Uh, that door is actually not open for me. Um, so, you know, that, and, and it's not going to be open for the black woman after me. It's not going to be open for the transgendered person after me, right? Because the future hopefully is intersex and it, and it becomes this all inclusive, wonderful thing. Um, that door right now isn't open. Yep. So I have to work a little bit harder to make sure that whoever comes after me, the world is more inclusive for them. So and that's like through really tiny bullshit like steps. Like that's mm-hmm. changing my organization's uh, logo to a rainbow during June and only June. And and making sure that we're saying, hey, the next generation is identifying themselves at a younger age because the doors are starting to open. But in 20 years, my organization in a very conservative area needs to be able to hire somebody and have them be accepted and meet with donors who are going to accept them. So, so you know, it's little steps, it's brute force, it's strategic thinking, which was really foreign to me as a painter. <laughs> um, and it's, it's like trying to be nimble and then also maintain the perspective that I've been very fortunate, um, but my fortune has to have some sort of a trail behind it, you know? Yeah. One other thing I want to come back to before I get back to that whole yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I still got, I got all these notes yeah, here. Yeah. You know, you, you hit on ego a few times <laughs> and ego is something that, again, I, I see this in myself, something that holds me back. Mm-hmm all the time the way I, I look at myself the way i look at others the way i look at my work mm-hmm. um and it is a son of a bitch yep. to get a hold of mm-hmm. and wrangle that thing and keep it in check mm-hmm. so how do you do that i work out because it's so humbling yeah um it's like it's so humbling um so i i i do um like intense weightlifting workouts yep. and i have a really jacked up spine and um, I had reached like just a anecdotal, right? So like last April, I had reached this point where I was hitting big lifts that I was super proud of. You know, I was back squatting more than my body weight, which was something I had never done before. I was deadlifting almost, you know, not twice my body weight, but a significant amount. Yeah. And I felt really strong. I felt really fit. And then um, uh, I dislocated my sacrum. And was, yeah, it was dumb. It was stupid. It's my own fault. And suddenly, since then, since like last August, it's been like a downhill slide of not being motivated, struggling with some pain, still wanting to stay strong because I feel better when I'm strong. Um, And then on top of it, balancing the fact that I'm not lifting these weights and I'm watching the people that I work out with hit goals and get fitter and look better and all this other stuff. Uh, It has been more of an ego bruiser, knockdown, drag out emotional fight than I ever thought um, was going to happen. I, I, you know, it was, again, that's probably a sign of privilege and somebody who's, you know, used to winning, but it, it, you know, um, 
And I don't say that in like a braggy way. It just felt like if I put my mind to something, I would get there eventually. It might take time, but I was going to get it. And this is one of those things where it's just not true. And, um, and that I had to say, okay, I need to do less weight or I need to modify this and I need to ask for help, which I hate doing. Um, you know, uh, I listened to your first episode with Chris Chase. Is that your buddy's name? Yeah. He was like so humble. And I was like, I was like, damn it. <laughs> like, I'm going to come in and just be like this, like bull in a china shop on this podcast and screw up everybody's like Zen here. Um, because it literally, I felt, I've always felt like if I put my mind to it, I could get there. Yeah. Um, but to keep my ego in check, one of the things you have to do is is set some sort of maybe unattainable goal or something that you're not great at, and you need to maintain those things. Um, maintenance is an ego bruiser, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think that's my answer. Yeah, that was <laughs> awesome, though. I think uh, what I started doing, I was looking, so in July, I started just walking. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was, like you talk about ego bruiser, right? I was the power lifter. Yeah, in, I know in you high were. high school. Um, did pretty well for myself. Like the then, singlet and everything, yeah, right? Whole, like it was yeah. like the whole like thing. I got, I got my little like <laughs> best lifter award mm-hmm. from one of my first competitions over there. And, you know, for me, it was something that was so, I mean, it built confidence. Yeah. It built the, the respect for myself, the respect that I earned from other people. Mm-hmm. Like it was such a, a, a thing that developed myself. But also mm-hmm. in the back of my head, I didn't realize that the ego was oh, yeah. built. If you can Man. pick up heavy shit, you feel like you can fight a bear. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. you're like, who's stronger than me? No one. Yep. Like, like there, I don't know if it's like a biological thing, you know, like a hunter gatherer thing. Yeah. I think there's something, yeah, something kind of like, internal mm-hmm. primitive about like being able to know like i'm strong mm-hmm. i can i can move heavy shit mm-hmm. i could probably take on some people you yeah know, whatever and it's like a, you know but at the same end so i guess what i was getting to was like this idea where for me like i started doing yoga like two years ago i know you did right i started now i'm like walking like like today's saturday yeah. so it's six miles saturday so I... woke up and did six mile walk but years ago, you know, I, I found myself, I, I, I injured myself, got to college. I basically stopped working out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was an ego part because I'm like, well, if I can't do that type of working out, I don't want to do it at all. Yep. And because there was something like threatening about lifting lighter or mm-hmm. running or especially like yoga. Oh my gosh. Like that was like off limits. Right. I remember like. It's so fluffy. Like exactly. Like my buddy Chris, like he remembers this. I used to go up and. Um, all was was a storzer now it's the wilmore center at, at ripon college there was a, a place with a punching bag mm-hmm. and like that felt that felt oh, good yeah. like that felt like that that kind of fueled that ego of like i'm i'm getting after yeah. it and i'm doing it in like this yeah. kind of like manly way or whatever and i still obviously you can see i got my punching bag here but you know then i kept injuring myself mm-hmm. and so then it's like but i was so stubborn in my ego to transition to doing something that could benefit me for a long haul Mm -hmm. because obviously what i was doing maybe short term i could get gains but i would always stumble and fall it's kind of like that belief in yourself like i can do anything like for me it was like i i I can only work out this way but Mm -hmm. that's just not how it's going to be my body's not going to allow this but now that i've i've checked my ego where it's like no I, i do yoga i walk i don't give a shit what anyone says because the way my body feels and the way that translates to just a better sense of self mm-hmm. and putting my ego in check because sometimes 
I'm like, am I really doing this? And it's like, yeah, you, you are. Right. Because you don't need to do that heavy shit anymore. You don't need yeah. to do that putting yourself through this highly mm-hmm. intense thing because every time you've done it in recent years, all you do is hurt yourself. And it's well, just not it's worth a, it. It's a, yeah, it's a redefining masculinity thing too, right? Mm-hmm. And actually probably for both of us, right? So I'm I'm the youngest in my family. My brother was very sporty, very charming, played football in college, like – Um, and like my goal in high school was to get a letter before he did, you know? And like, I was always chasing this, this thing where my brother was the cool jock guy. Right. And so for me, actually part of my motivation and like fitness journey was like having to redefine masculinity because it was always my competition and, and feminism isn't about that, but. I definitely associated something like that where like I had a couple jobs where I was working with men all the time and I wanted to be able to be like, I didn't want the question to be like, can you get that guy to lift this? You know, I wanted to be like, I got that. What do you mean that guy? Like, don't say, do you need help, honey? Like, no, I don't need help and I'm not your honey. You know, I want to be, I wanted to be able to do those things. But then when you realize that that is not actually a measure of a human, It's some sort of patriarchal BS that's been instilled in all of us and the time of hunter-gatherers really doesn't exist anymore when you can go to a Piggly Wiggly or a Pick and Save. (laughs) Like there's no reason that masculinity has to be strength and there's no reason that femininity and feminism has to compete with some sort of BS masculine stereotype. Um, And everybody gets to decide how strong they want to be or how fit or how unfit or... You know, like, it just, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm circling on that. But um, I think it's its its nice to talk to somebody that is like, no, 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 no. I'm a dude. I'm a cool dude. And yoga is awesome. You know, like, that that is a moment where I have to reset and, again, check my ego and be like, what am I competing against? Yeah. Some sort of patriarchal system that I've said I don't want to be a part of? because in that case, I'm probably not living what I truly want to be living. (laughs) For me, it's like, uh, you know, although I may not have the physical strength I once had, the mental strength I have is I've never been mentally stronger in my life, right? And I think, too, it's like, what what am I fighting? I'm fighting myself every day. I'm fighting that ego each and every day because I am my greatest uh, enemy. I'm also my greatest advocate. I'm also my greatest ally. Mm -hmm. And as long as you check the right parts of you by practicing the right habits you're going to find yourself achieving what it is that you truly want to achieve Mm -hmm. and i think there's something too with the ego um i thought about it before was just honest conversations with yourself you know i got my little whiteboard behind me Mm -hmm. very often you will find me down here just writing strengths weaknesses opportunities threats Mm -hmm. and i'm not writing it about anything at work i'm not writing about anything other than me Mm -hmm. what are my strengths where are my weaknesses where are my opportunities right now to grow and what are the threats my my own like not not like the threat of anything external what is the threat internal like so i try to identify Mm -hmm. old patterns habits mindsets attitudes Mm -hmm. um that's something that has you want to talk about putting that ego in check and really trying to get get Uh honest with yourself it sometimes it you know honestly like it hurts that sounds super painful and like not something i ever want to do but man (laughs) i I should but i i tell you it it is it's 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 very difficult but what you'll find on the other side is 
humble. Right. You know, you mentioned my buddy Chris. Mm-hmm. He is by far one of the most genuine, humble people mm-hmm. I know. But I also know that he looks at, at the mirror. He looks at himself in the mirror and he does that mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And that's why he's able to achieve that. There's, you know, there's, there's probably plenty of people that may look at him and be like, this guy's bullshit. Mm-hmm. He's not. Right. And he puts himself through, you know, one of the things too that you mentioned, you know, you, you when you were talking about like, um, you know, since last November, whenever that was with the, with the, with the working out, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have the motivation. Yeah. One of the things him and I always talk about, it's not about the motivation, it's about the discipline. Right. You know, we have a little, you know, every morning he goes on a run, I go on a walk. I'm texting him a snapshot of how Yours far are so I walk. Cute. Oh, yeah. I love it. But it's like, we <laughs> have to keep that discipline because right. if we don't keep that discipline, that's when we're going to fall off the wagon. Yep. And I know too, you know, at least for me, if he doesn't get that text from me one day two days he's probably that's the those guardians again right like it's just those keepers who help you maintain and you help them maintain too like i don't want to it's not just a a receiving relationship right so it's about people who keep you in check and um i mean obviously they're going to be the ego people too right um who both are your hype people and your people who are like girl, you just fucked up, you know, like yeah. what you just did was really dumb and, or like, you know, you're complaining about maybe a fight you had with somebody or maybe your, your spouse. And they're going to be the ones who are like, yeah, I think you might be right on this one. Like you're the one that's probably wrong. Have you said sorry? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, so yeah, I, I think fitness is going to be a, a humbling experience for literally everybody because yeah. your fitness can always get better, right? Even the fittest on earth can get fitter. Correct. So, and I think that that is a and you know I listen to a lot of podcasts where they talk about jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Like you are you're going against not just somebody else but yourself. You're competing against yourself to get better, but you're also going to go against that other person. Mm-hmm. And there's that you know, and that's why I really want to when this whole coronavirus crap is done, I'm going to go join a jujitsu gym because after everything I've heard about what it you know what it does mm-hmm. for self-confidence ego right but obviously like the the physical like benefits to your body mm-hmm. it just sounds more like i shouldn't say miraculous but mm-hmm. it, it sounds amazing and to know also like hey if i find myself in an altercation where someone wants to do something to me right and i have the physical capability to be like okay let's, let's see what happens it's, here let's 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 roll right. a little bit you know that that's it's the zombie apocalypse factor you yeah, know it's like yeah. the I, I could do this, you know, like I, for whatever reason, I feel really good when people want me on their like apocalypse team, you know, when people are like, I'm coming to your house, we're all going to get in your car and then we'll go to like our apocalypse location, which I yeah. can't reveal on this podcast because Fair enough. it's for when the apocalypse happens. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I think there's some like when it comes to exercise and I think what's important to know is like for for me to say like yoga yoga and walking seriously it doesn't have to be anything crazy you know people always think like i gotta join a gym or i gotta do some type of sport no you don't just Mm -hmm. get your just move your body right shoot just start by stretching every night stretch in the morning for five minutes stretch at night for five minutes and then the next week go to 10 minutes the next week go to and then you know you want to do yoga you don't have to join a gym pop up youtube right you know you want to walk well go outside right you know it's it's and if, if it's cold out wear a couple layers like there's there's so many things that people can do to physically take care of their bodies at no cost right. removing barriers is like uh you know across the board it's like what does you know 
circling back, like what is the barrier for me not going to the studio? What is the barrier for not being able to raise enough dollars? What is the barrier for fitness? What is the barrier for me trying to figure out how to be humble? Like those are all pieces and parts that, you know, circling back to like the idea of success. It's, it's, it's about barrier removal, you know, at the basis line, like, uh, okay, you are not able to maintain stable housing. What is the barrier? Okay. A job that keeps you in a certain location. All right. Let's, let's pivot that. Let's talk to whoever we can talk to. You know, I, I think it's, um, barrier removal is a really like interesting thing. And it's something that I feel, you know, I keep referring to myself as somebody with brute force Mm -hmm. while barrier removal is like brute force is perfect for that. Yeah. (laughs) I love what you just said. And I wrote that down barrier removal leads to success. And you and I have always known that. Like my background is public health, Right. right? Like all I studied at the medical college for three years was, well, in a larger part was barriers that prevent people from achieving the mm-hmm. health that they should have, they deserve, um, whether that be economical, political, you know, policy driven, um, you know, determinants of health, demographic related, mm-hmm. all that. Um, but it's interesting how just the way you just pose that, I think also will uh, influence probably the next phase I do my interviews because I'll be like, hey, what are the barriers that you're working <laughs> on to your path to success? Well, and it, because success is like an individual thing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. success might be like maintaining a job for X amount of time anywhere. Success mm-hmm. might be I put my shoes on today, yeah. you know? So it's about, you know, that's where I, I really think about barrier removal a lot, Um I don't know if there's anything more to say about it. Just, you know, I think about it a lot. I think about it in my capacity as a nonprofit worker. I think about it in my capacity as an educator, probably more so than anything. You know, my students this year are learning how to make sculptures via Zoom, (laughs) right? Like, what what kind of crazy BS is that? Like, teaching art online is a wild experience, right? So... And it has to be about barrier removals. I have students in Ohio this year, you know, where they're pivoting their location all the time. And, and do they have access to the tools? And not everybody has a art, you know, supply store around the corner. So, okay, you can't buy plaster. We're making this sculpture out of chocolate. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it, there's, there's just pivots for every situation and and I know pivot is like the word of 2020, but um, I think it's a you know a good word. Yeah, it's a but good think, word. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you with all the boys and girls club calls that I've been on, like be nimble, be ready to oh, pivot. Nimble, that's another one. <laughs> but there, there is something about that that I think is an interesting conversation as well. Which and I, I my team at at work. I always tell them you need to be aggressive in what we're working mm-hmm. at, but you have to be flexible. Yep. You can't be so aggressive that you get yourself stuck in the trenches. Mm-hmm. So that way, when a barrier is presented, that right. you can't do something about it. Yeah. If you are so aggressive that you get stuck, well, yeah, there's only there's only so much you can do, and I think that's important. Um, and maybe if you want to expand on that, kind of the way you look at. You know, how, how do how does Jamie stay nimble? How does Jamie pivot? How do you stay so aggressive but prepared to, you know, 
to move yeah. at any moment's notice to, to still continue the path to success. Yeah, I think it's about forecasting, which is something I learned actually at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, a huge gap in art education is not teaching artists how to be business people, which is mm-hmm. silly because every artist is essentially a small business owner. Um, so, But I, I learned that at the Boys and Girls Club. I learned budgeting and forecasting and realizing that like a certain amount of dollars only goes a certain amount of way because when you are when you have a boss who is asking you to stick to a budget it's very different than a personal budget because in a personal budget I could say I'll just get another part-time job I will work harder to fill that gap um I can you know eat frozen pizza for a month and stick to my budget whereas uh, when you're in a capacity of having uh, being held accountable to dollars that are spent to make kids' lives better, it's a whole different ball game, right? So um, <clears throat> when I look at like leadership and being nimble and being able to survive something um, and not just survive but thrive in in the capacity of how do you stay nimble, and especially in the time of coronavirus, it became about forecasting, making really tough decisions, and then staying empathetic in the middle of it. Um, We did make a really tough choice, um, and I have a small staff of all women, um, and we're, I think, a very tight crew. We know when something happens at home. We know when somebody's kid needs extra support. We know when somebody's dog is sick, you know? Um, So that makes it really hard when you have to lay people off. It makes it really hard when you have to sacrifice parts of programming that your staff really love and invested time into because of financial constraints. So um, for for us, I really had to learn, you know, on March 17th, instantly how to uh, be empathetic in a major crisis, not just for the families that we serve, right? So... Um, and that's about a servantile attitude. Um, but it's also just about really strong forecasting and trusting the team that you've built um, to make sure that you're going to get through it. And they have, and they in turn trusted me, right? So there was kind of this um, nimbleness isn't about being a ballerina on your own. Um, it is about effectively building a team that trusts you and that you trust. And then making sure that you're sticking to a path um, that maybe is actually ideological, right? So for us, obviously there's financial goals, but at the end of the day, we need to support kids and clear a path for them so that the world isn't as hard today, uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And if that is my ultimate goal, the steps in between can move. Because it's about that kid. So the dollars can come from a different place. The programming can have a different name. The staff can be different people. Um, but the ultimate goal is ideological. And I think that that, I mean, that suits me as a human. Um, but it also means that you stay light on your feet. Mm-hmm. Because the end game is, Slightly unattainable, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and not not necessarily. I mean, the goal of any good nonprofit is to no longer exist. Yeah. So. And I think that's um, you know, 
we are working to put ourselves out of a job. Yeah. That's ideal, right? Yeah. I and... like totally want big brothers, big sisters to never exist. Yeah. Because every family is loved and supported. Every child is given dignity, empathy, and confidence. And no one no longer needs my services. Yeah. No one needs a homeless shelter. No one needs an after-school program because families are making affordable wages and kids can go home at the end of the day. Yep. Like, that's the end game. Yep. It's, uh, some would call it naive, but I believe that it's actually hopeful. So. No question. <laughs> I agree with you. I think there's, uh, in 2020, in the greatest nation uh, on this earth in terms of its resources, capacities, mm -hmm. um, the greatest experiment to probably ever to have existed in terms of what we have as a, a, just a system in place. Although there are many pieces that I don't care for mm -hmm. and people in places that mm -hmm. are running the systems that I could care less about. Right. Um, I do believe that we have the capacity to build that world, to revamp education, to revamp how we, absolutely, you know, you know, how do we police our neighborhoods? How do we, um, you know, care for those when they get, you know, old? How do we care for those that can't care for themselves? Yep. How do we just create a space that, especially when tragedy hits, when catastrophe yep. hits, when the nation has to shut down, mm -hmm. how can we ensure that everyone, hey, it's right. going to be six months, it's going to be 12 months. Hey, we don't know how long this is going to go, but we're going to take care of you. Yeah. If we are the greatest nation on this earth yep i got a feeling that we could figure this out well that's like i mean in the in the i mean americans have big egos right we're founded on ego mm -hmm. like this country is literally like i'm so good i built such a big boat <laughs> that i can go across a flat earth and not fall off right like that yeah. is ego and then to get here and see indigenous people and be like mm, you're doing this wrong like <laughs> like, this country is built on ego. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's a little bit facetious sometimes I'm gonna, to say, like, the greatest nation. But, I mean, we ha we enjoy a, a certain amount of freedoms. Yeah. And we enjoy, well, I mean, you and I do as white people. Um, in theory, everybody enjoys yeah. <laughs> this thing. Um, no one should be hungry. Why in the world are there people that are hungry in a country like ours? That's insane. Anyway, but the goal of any good nonprofit and you know what? The goal of any good for-profit should be to put yourself out of business because you are building such a strong economy and neighborhood that people don't need you. Everybody can do it. Ugh. Sorry. No. I'll step off good. my soapbox. It drives me nuts. You're good. Clearly. Anyway. I don't typically have in mind to have those conversations on this podcast. <laughs> However, I know. there are certain times where I will engage and participate and allow because I think it's also important for, I want, you know, a big part of this is I, I don't want to ever hold back any, any, you know, sure. uh, person I'm interviewing from from going on their soapbox. I soapbox all the time. There's 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 power and there's going to be people that just listen to what you just said and be like, no, no, I'm good. I know. That. I'm sorry, guys. But <laughs> at the same end, to those people, the reality that I want to be understood is that we live 
in a society where a lot of people think differently mm-hmm. and we can all achieve the success that we want without shitting on each other right. to a level where it's just not a safe place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are people that will resonate with what you said and be like, hey, I can achieve, I believe, and they're going to learn from you, listen from you, and then they're going to find their catalyst. Mm-hmm to achieve what it is they're shooting for so i want everyone to understand full disclosure uh just be prepared to get offended be prepared to get (laughs) butt hurt i don't care that's kind of the purpose of Mm -hmm. this at the same end is that you're going to listen to different perspective you're going to listen to alternative ideas that are different of that of your own and i hope that you are actually listening still to this point because I want you to to entertain the thought. Well, I forget the exact quote, so I may butcher it. But the mark of an intelligent mind is to entertain a thought different of that of your own. Mm-hmm. I probably just paraphrased that quote eh, a little bit, but I think me. there is something powerful about just listen, mm-hmm. just listen. I don't care if you don't agree, but at the same end, understand that there's this this person, my friend Jamie here, is going to be in this world, and you may come across her path, or and or you're going to come across people like her, and guess what? It's just how it is. Learn to live with it. Learn to respect it. Mm -hmm. And understand what she just said was she wants nothing but this country to be a better place. Right. And she wants herself to achieve better for herself and others. What's so wrong about that? I also think, like, if you think that people should go hungry, you probably should stop listening to this right now. Exactly. (laughs) And, like, go do something else. I don't know. (laughs) We could definitely go on a whole path, but it's interesting because... No matter what, we don't want people hungry. Right. We don't want kids to be involved in criminal activity at a young age being recruited. We don't want families to be living so impoverished that they can't take care of themselves Mm -hmm. that it leads to all these horrible outcomes that we currently have in our communities. None of us want that. Right. And at some point, and I do hope to use this, this podcast as a catalyst to honestly unite people. And or maybe just in unite doesn't mean you have the same agreements. It's just you respect and understand. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I obviously my opinions change. Like I said, I grew up in a really conservative household. You know where um, I, you know, I actually don't know if I cared all that much, but I did believe at one point that homosexuality was wrong. And then, um, and I've told this story to really anybody that'll listen. And I remember like being 18, sitting in a car with a new friend of mine in college who was gay and the hot guy walked past us and we were both like, oh my God. And he was like, I just want to hold his hand. And I remember being like, what? That's what I'm against? What kind of silly, insane nonsense have I been like co-opted into? Um, You know, and uh, so... I'm pivotable. Uh, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where um, I shout a lot, but uh, it's mostly just (laughs) bluster. (laughs) Yeah, but I like what you just said, too, even to that point. Like, you realize that you're able to pivot on a belief that you have held, Mm -hmm. had held for so many years of your life. And I think there's something uh, about that, that, that ability to, again, like, you can be aggressive in your beliefs, Mm -hmm. you can be aggressive in your goals. But regardless of how um, big in nature they may be, you need to be able to be humble enough 
to put that in check and understand like, okay, well maybe this isn't the way to go. And I think that speaks to, and I I got a feeling that you can probably look at some of the most successful people in the world. And I think that comes to a concept that I learned from another ex Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. I can get you some. You and these Navy SEALs, man. There is something about uh, (laughs) military and the way they've gone about, you know, just, how they approach their work, how they approach their missions, how they approach the team building, the, mm-hmm. everything. I mean, yeah, there's some pretty crazy step, crazy crap that's been happening in the military. But I think when you look at like the most successful units, battalions, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, there there's a there's a a there's a value system, belief system, camaraderie, and I try to learn from those most successful individuals. And the, the concept that he talked about was extreme ownership, mm-hmm. and being able to, like you mm-hmm. just mentioned that. Like being able to take ownership of, I used to believe, or I have believed this for so long. And you owned up to the fact that, wow, I believe this, but this isn't something I'm going to believe in anymore. Yeah. And that takes a lot. That takes a lot of courage. I mean, it really does to take ownership of your belief system, to take ownership of your ego and to admit, like, I was wrong Mm -hmm. to, to have looked at people this Mm -hmm. way because of a belief that i held Mm -hmm. because you may not agree with homosexuality but when you start to realize like that that, that's a person yeah still a person right you know and then obviously you and i can both agree you're homosexual cool right well i think that's empathy too right is like that's like learning actually how to use empathy rather than just um you know understanding it as a concept is is a fascinating thing um, I think that if you truly understand empathy and you're able to um, deploy it in your life and employ it in your life, you start to um, look at the Black Lives Matter movement as a white person and say, yep, I'm on board, right? Mm-hmm. So if you start to use empathy, um, you're going to look at um, the list of missing and in- murdered indigenous women in this country and in Canada and you're going to go holy shit I need to backpedal here and take a look at why isn't this showing up let's say in my newsfeed yeah right so the powers of empathy can do a lot of things they can make you identify with a singular person and they can um draw you nearer to a larger concept that you can engage with um maybe not you're not going to be a detective i'm never going to be a police detective it's just not going to happen however oh you did kill it in that escape room i am so good at escape rooms um (laughs) brute force um (laughs) um i can take a look at that and say okay this is something i care about how do i support this thing you know and and the powers of empathy allow you to to look at and engage with and care about a huge umbrella of things that um, then allow you to say, okay, what am I doing in my own personal life to make sure I'm talking about this or understanding it? Um, I think empathy is is huge, but I also don't think you can have a lot of empathy unless you've been dignified. Yeah. Right? So unless you've been told you have value, you're not going to always see value in different experiences. So that's, I mean, when I go dignity, empathy, and confidence, you know, like it's, it's not fluff because it, one leads to another. And when you put all those pieces together, 
you dig into those that are different than you and you can you can show them love and uh maybe change the world yeah no doubt cue unicorns and stars and (laughs) yeah i think too what's interesting in this conversation that is i think really the listeners probably picked it up but the biggest theme i keep coming back to is that community Mm -hmm. the community that you put around yourself getting to know the community that's around you understanding them with empathy and looking at them with respect and not from a point of judgment but understanding what what it is around you Mm -hmm. so that way you understand how you need to interface and behave yep um but then that community that you purposely surround yourself Mm -hmm. with in those individuals because you understand that that's going to be your baseline that's where that's where your home is and that's where you're going to be able to fill your cup back up that's Mm -hmm. where you're going to be able to 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 share ideas to build yourself to build others um cool but yeah there's a lot there your people are your in nuggy of empathy i don't know i feel like there's a snuggy reference in there that you could like <laughs> this is terrible podcasting ask me another question max <laughs> all right so um now i'm gonna go like way yeah, back yeah. i'm gonna Let's go do like uh Pedal back. we're gonna probably go like 40 minutes back great because what i want to do is i want to ask this questions and then i still want to get into um i really want to hear you know more about kind of like your art experience yeah just telling the world about what 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 that's been like and this question relates to actually art, so maybe it's a good good pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll dive into that. But here's one of the questions I have. Because when you talk about building dignity, confidence, respect, uh, empathy for yourself, like how can you develop that in yourself? One of the things you mentioned was, you know, what you do is you create art. Mm-hmm. So actually, let's, I'm going to. I'm going to switch it up. Do it. I want you to tell us, tell me about like what got you into art? Where, where has that journey in art, where has that been? Where is it now? Mm -hmm. Where do you want it to go? Mm -hmm. And then, then I will finally get to the question that I wrote down 40 minutes ago. Cool. Um, so, uh, I think I've always been, you know, uh, artistically inclined. Um, the joke I tell people is when I was in kindergarten, you know, they are like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they write it on like a chart with like your height and your eye color and you drew a cute little picture of yourself. Um, I remember writing Mrs. Claus and not because Santa's so sexy, but (laughs) (laughs) because I wanted, I thought that she was like probably behind the scenes making stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like this lady had access to all the toys and how they were made. And to me, that was so exciting. Um, and I think that that's kind of the first moment that my family realized that this girl's a little left to center. And, (laughs) um, and then I had a really incredible third grade teacher who, you know, when we learned about Native American people, put a teepee up in the classroom. And then we read books about Native American people in the teepee. And we made, um, artwork that was, you know, referential to totem poles and stuff like that. And then we learned about Claude Monet and we did these water lily watercolors. And I remember in third grade being like, hell yeah, this is it. You know, like there was this art history component, which I love history. And then there was this skill development, um, that, you know, to this day, I teach that exact class, like Claude Monet's water lilies as watercolors using salt because it separates the color from the water. Like I do that assignment when I teach because it was 
influential in who I wanted to become as a maker. So fast forward, I had a art teacher in high school who would sometimes, you know, sorry, I'm calling you out, Mr. Bame, um, leave the door unlocked, you know, after school. And um, I was allowed to, you know, go a little bit above and beyond with some of the projects. And um, he allowed some independent study stuff where maybe it wasn't always happening for other students um, because I was really obsessed with it. And then it came time to go to college, and it sounds really dumb to say, but it was either become an OBGYN or become an artist. And and I knew I wasn't going to get through organic chemistry, um, and so uh, I decided to learn how to paint, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I went to a great school that was super affordable, and um, it was, uh, so I went to school in South Dakota, and there was nothing to do but make art you know middle of a cornfield and drink so that's that's kind of what I did in college um but again it was one of those spaces where there was a trick door on the art building so you could get in any time of the day um I was given a ton of freedom to experiment and try new things and um so were my cohort, like the whole school. I'm not, I actually don't think that was a privilege only I enjoyed. It was, everybody knew about the trick door. Uh, we were all given a little bit of a license to kill. And, um, and that was awesome. So yeah. after that, um, I actually had a, a residency. I started as an intern and I turned into an artist in residence at a hospital in their um, cancer unit. So I was working within an outpatient in oncology. I was working in um, the children's hospital in the oncology or, or kids that were receiving cancer treatments. And then um, also in radiation in the waiting rooms with families. And I did everything from set up a canvas and paint a picture and people just sat and watched me to doing patient um, kind of care and teaching people. Um, I had one woman, her name was Jan, who was receiving chemo for like a six month stint. And so every Wednesday I went and sat with her and taught her how to watercolor. Mm-hmm. And that was an incredible job that really solidified, you know, post-graduation that art making was something I wanted to do as a human being, but it was also something I could share with other people. And um, my boss at that job is somebody who is still my mentor today. Um, you know, when I was offered the CEO job at Big Brothers Big Sisters, I called her before I called my husband. Um, and and she was somebody who was like, she just kept saying yes. You know, hey, I have this idea. Yes. Hey, I want to do this thing. Yes. And when things got scary, she still said, you have to go and do it. And so um, that, was, that was a really incredible opportunity. And then I went to SUNY Albany. Um, Again, a lot of freedom in, in an MFA, um, very self-directed uh, to the point where like I had to set up my class times, quote unquote. You know, you would do like these independent studies with professors and I had to set up the meetings for them to come to, you know, there was no regular, there was some classes that were regularly scheduled, but uh, I was really terrible at that, I had no organizational skills. Um and I kind of wish I could redo some of those things. I feel like I missed some opportunities there. But tons of freedom. Um, and I and that I feel like I learned how to put feminism into practice in graduate school. 
Um, there was moments where I felt like um, some men were being given opportunities that I wasn't being given. Um, working as a sculptor, I was one of three women in the entire department. Um, and that was a really big challenge. Um, sculpture is kind of uh, historically masculine, you know, like carving rocks and welding things like they're just it's part of a masculine identity that I think is starting to disappear, but uh, it's still very much there. And uh, in graduate school is where I started to make art that was more for myself. Um, I was dealing with some really extreme sexual harassment at my job at the time, and I started making work about it. Um, and that was one of the first times I like stood in front of my work and said, this is about me. You know, not this is about home or this is about identity or this is about fairy tales or this is about feminism. It was this is about me and this is about my experience and this is how I'm translating it and communicating that with you. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a, a really interesting time in my life. It feels like very fast and aggressive and exhausting actually. Um and I think if you talk to a couple of the people I graduated with, they would say the same thing. Yeah. So um, then uh, I did, like I said, I met my husband in New York. Um, we came to the Midwest. And I had an MFA, a master's degree, and I couldn't find a job to save my life. Um, and that really sucked. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the first year we lived in Wisconsin, I worked five jobs and I made $24,000 in one year. It was awful. Um, so for those of you who feel like you're exhausted and it's terrible, I understand. And five years later, I'm very comfortable and a lot less uh, physically exhausted. Um, but through, uh, those five jobs, um, I ended up teaching and I ended up at the boys and girls club and the club was such an incredible, I mean, I was, you know, 70 kids in my art room a day, just epic disasters all the time. It was so fun. Um, you know, we did everything from painting giant walls to, um, you know, painting ice and uh, 400 paper plates and hanging them on the walls. And uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a ton of fun. It was, it was a great job. And um, uh, our boss, Max and I's boss, kind of tapped me on the shoulder a couple times in that job and said, you can do more. You can do more. Mm-hmm. And then I tapped him on the shoulder and said, let me do more. Let me do more. And um, that's what led me to Big Brothers Big Sisters was taking on more and more leadership there. And then at the same time, um, maintaining a studio here in Wisconsin. Um, I still exhibit. I write show proposals. Um, I've been to France for a residency. Um, I did a couple residencies in Haiti. Um, I currently am an artist um, for the Washington Ozaki Land Trust um, in their residency program. It's a one-year program from October 1st to October 1st. So I'm making artwork and responding to a preserve that's really close to our home. Um I have work in Connecticut and in Missouri right now, you know, so like it's, it's still very much a part of my life. I have a podcast about art history with, um, give it the shout out. Yeah. It's called artsy fartsy and it's about putting women and marginalized people back into art history, which has been predominantly dominated by men. Mm -hmm. And 
So we do a little bit of digging. We're kind of funny. Um, I think we are anyway. I think so too. <laughs> I enjoy. And what I will say, I will definitely uh, for the listeners. I am not an art person. Jamie and I have talked about how, like, you know, I don't, you know, like Van Gogh. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's kind of like the extent of my art knowledge. But I think what I've learned, I've learned so much from your podcast. I will definitely including a a link to that Mm -hmm. in the show notes and a couple other spots. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I love research. I love learning. Um, And, uh, you know, I I had enough credits to be an art history major in my undergrad, um, but they didn't offer it, so it was a minor. Mm -hmm. But so it's been really, really fun. We essentially do a book report on some badass lady every week, um, and it's been really, really fun. So um, it's a huge part of my life. I know we've spent a lot of time talking about nonprofit leadership, um, um, but this is like another component. I feel like I should also tell your listeners I don't have children, so like I have a lot of <laughs> I have a lot of time that other people don't always have. So yeah. So yeah. what I what I think I'd like to do, you know, I think art. Not everyone is into art, right? Mm-hmm. But I think everyone's surrounded by it. We're surrounded by it yep. every day. The way our houses are built, the way our our communities are built. I mean, art is literally everywhere, and I think there's so much impact that it has on us each and every day. So I guess what I'm looking to ask you is like, what can people do to benefit more from art? How can they get themselves? more involved in art Mm -hmm. um and that was actually that that was the question i had like what can like for me i i i can draw stick people you know that's like i am not artistically inclined whatsoever but i am thoroughly uh bought into the idea of there is something that i can do that is artistic Mm -hmm. because of that there is such a benefit from engaging in such activities so Mm -hmm. um just I guess tell me about like that that impact on art, how that yeah. that can impact someone to be more successful, mm-hmm. and what can they do to engage more in that in that realm. Yeah, that's a big that's a right. big a ask. There. I know yeah. there's a lot there. Um, so the first thing that I would say is, um, I feel like a lot of people don't feel like they can engage in art because they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what I find really interesting about it is typically they're referring to art made after 1942 is like the art they don't understand. So um, one of the things that I think that you can do is to understand that art is not necessarily um, always about art. It actually is about history in in my own perspective. So um, you understand Roman statuary, right? You're like, oh, that's a Roman god or Oh, that's, you know, some story or religious experience. You walk into a church and you're like, okay, there's Jesus, there's Mary. You walk into a mosque and you're like, okay, these tessellating things come from a faith that won't depict God, right? Mm -hmm. So we tend to understand artwork up until it gets abstracted. And um, on that note, I'll give you all a tip. Artwork got abstracted because we screwed up the world twice. We went back to back with world wars, murdered millions of people. And uh, then you looked, and I say you as in the world, the world looked to artists to make sense of it. And the answer was, we can't. So what is the purest thing we can do? Primary colors, red, yellow, blue, white, black. So you get um, cubist paintings, you know, or or you get paintings that are like... um, white canvas with red box because the world messed up 
what do you paint at that point? Like, I, you have photographs, so realism doesn't need to be made anymore. You have television coming into people's homes for the first time, so uh, you don't need to depict this horrific thing. But everybody's traumatized and processing it. So um, everybody messes up. You get abstraction. It comes in hot and heavy. And then you start to get splatter paint, right? Um, by the the terrible person that is Jackson Pollock and his better half, Lee Krasner, who is really the driving force. Uh, listen to Artsy Fartsy episode one. <laughs> um, and then and then you have uh, Andy Warhol step in who says, okay, if splatter paint is art, so is a Campbell's soup can and label making, you know, and Brillo boxes and screen prints of Princess Diana, you know. Um, actually, Diana wouldn't have been alive. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is who I was thinking of. So in order for people to respond to art more effectively, I do think there has to be a stronger baseline of knowledge because otherwise it just feels foreign. You walk into a museum and you say, I can paint that. Why did I pay $27 to show up to this? Mm -hmm. I'm not learning anything. So I think sometimes understanding the, the history is super valuable. The second thing that you can do is stop spending $75 on the photograph of a very beautiful cow at Target. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, if you literally just look up art for sale, like the hashtag on Instagram, or you look up hashtag art or artist, or if you look up, like, um, let's say you're from San Francisco, hashtag art in San Francisco, you're going to find paintings that are for sale that are maybe even more affordable than the $75 beautiful cow photograph. And then you're going to be putting financial support into your local economy, supporting the makers that are around you. Yeah. And you have original things in your home. Like, how incredible is that? So I think that one of the barriers is people think that it's too expensive. And I'm telling you, odds are an artist, if you come to an artist and you say, I have $75 to spend, they have something in your financial bracket. Um and quit buying stuff from TJ Maxx, like in Amazon. Why are you buying artwork on Amazon, everybody? <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. Um, the third thing would then be there's tons of nonprofits in your area that deal with art. You know, so if you are here in Milwaukee, um, AWE is an incredible nonprofit. Um, artists working in education, they have these buses that drive around the city all summer long and set up in parks and public libraries to allow people to engage. Um not telling your kid that something sucks, that's another thing, you know, um, that's d dignity and confidence. Mm -hmm. um, letting art and voting um, for your local school board so that uh, art stays in your curriculum. I mean, everything comes back to voting for me, but, uh, you know, I, when you look at how do you make art have a bigger impact in your own life, one is building your understanding, two is supporting your local artists, and then three is making sure that it stays in your life. And if you want it to stay in your life, it has to stay in your schools. Yeah. What's the benefit? You know, I, I put the, que the question I wrote down was like art in the home. And my thought is like, what is that benefit of having art in your mm -hmm. home? But then as you just finish that statement, it's like, you know, those are things that you can do. But, you know, what what does it do for a person? Yeah. In so your, in your opinion. Um, there's actually science to back a lot of this up. So 
um, there was a bunch of studies. So I told you I worked in a hospital as an artist in residence. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually saw in like the year that I worked there, hospital stays decrease for people who were hospitalized for more than a day um, if they had artwork in their room or a window that faced the outside, right? So it actually stimulates parts of your brain that have to do with um, healing and um, overall uh, health with within mental health and physical health. Um, I think that putting artwork in your own home then, I mean, that seems like a really direct translation for me. Um, the second piece of that is like, if you make something, how many times have you had like a kid show you like something? I mean, I'm going to say it's dumb. It's not dumb, but like I made this snowman out of four marshmallows and four whatever, like Mm -hmm. pretzel sticks. The kids are so pumped about that. Yeah. That is, that is dignity. They made a thing with their hands. Think of how accomplished you feel after you repaint a room, right? Think of how accomplished it feels to um, decorate a birthday cake. Now, make a really badass painting, right? Like, the, that, is, that is dignity that translates directly to confidence. And then the people who see it are using the powers of empathy, right let's like i mean this all circles i mean i really don't think my work in nonprofits is that separate from working as an artist you know i i I find those components in just about everything but that could be me (laughs) yeah so like someone like me and this goes to that question that almost now an hour ago yeah i'm sorry no no i wanted i'm glad that i was able to get to the art because i think if i would have asked this question earlier it would have taken away from what you just went through Mm -hmm. um you know, you know, go and make that badass art painting. Yeah. Where Where does a person start to figure out, you know, how, like... Sure. And I think, too, like, I, I think to myself, I probably don't need to do that much to figure out what I need to do to, mm-hmm. to, to paint, right? Probably just go go to the store, grab some paint, get... You probably don't even need a canvas, just something, right? Yeah. But kind of break it down, like, what, what can... What can Max do? What can Someone Max who has no, no inclination of being artistically inclined mm-hmm. like, whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I will draw you some people after we're done here and you'll yeah. be like, ooh, we can work on this. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah, turn me into one of the kids like at the Boys and uh-huh. Girls Club and teach me. But where, where can I start? Where can anyone start? Because I, I yeah. agree with you. When you make something, when you build something, when you create something, there is so much power in that. Absolutely. So where does someone start? Well, that's a great question because I do think a lot of people get discouraged. Like they go out. My nephew, um, he's 11, and um, he feels really good when he paints when I'm around, and he feels really bad when he paints and I'm not around. Um, So he painted. He came and stayed with my husband and I for a week. We went to my studio for a day. He actually made three paintings, one abstract one, one of – him as a Green Bay Packer, and then one uh, for his mom that was like a landscape with a wolf in it. Mm-hmm. And as an 11-year-old, left to his own devices, he would have hated all three paintings. Yeah. And then when I came in and said, hey, let's shift this shoulder, and here's how you draw that shoulder. And you know what? Let's not paint hands because that's expert level, and we got to, like, keep it keep it where it belongs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. So then a few weeks later, he decided he wanted to paint again, and I wasn't there, and he painted a purple flamingo for our cousin who he loves, and he hated it. Um, he was so embarrassed by it. He wouldn't didn't want to give it as a gift, 
And um, a lot of it was uh, he had lost all that confidence that I had instilled in him because here I was over his shoulder guiding the direction. And I don't care if you're 11 or you're 42, if you don't have somebody who's guiding you and you don't have a natural knack and you haven't invested time in it, it's intimidating as hell and uh, you're probably going to hate what you do. So how do you start? Um, The first thing I would say is um, if you have the financial stability, there's a lot of continuing ed education classes that your local uh, community colleges are going to offer, your local art centers are going to offer. There's lots of them that are free uh, too. Um, those would be a great thing. Uh, the second thing is go to YouTube, right? Bob Ross is a great guy who allowed millions of Americans to suddenly start painting at home and feel confident about it. There's a reason like he's a staying cultural icon and the reason that people still say happy trees and happy accidents, like it comes from this guy who told you all, you can do it, and here's how. Um, the second thing, or third thing I would say is, if you know local artists in your community, odds are they're willing to help you. Um, we're a very generous community. We're um, people who are invested in making the world better because why else would you make uh, artwork that you want to stick around if you don't believe the world is going to stick around? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's tons of resources from your local community and if you you know max if you were like hey so tony and i want to sit down we want to paint and we want to learn how to do this thing absolutely i'm gonna jump in and be like yeah let's do this okay let's paint what what do you want to paint today let's learn about depth you know um i'm gonna take you up on that now yeah so fun i mean i love that i mean xavier i think too he loves drawing loves creating but that, I mean, that's the dignity thing. Yeah. Like, if you sat down and did it on your own, it is really hard. Yeah. Like, artists have been taught how to see things and translate three-dimensional things into two-dimensional things, right? That's an impossible thing to learn if you haven't been taught it. And not impossible. I think some people have a knack for it. But, um, yeah, I, I look at your resources. I mean, when we talk about barrier removal – the barrier might actually be your ego in this specific situation because you expect your artwork to look a certain way. So if you can remove that and either ask for help or not care about what it looks like, you probably have it made. There's also hundreds of thousands of books about how to paint and write and draw and all that stuff. Yeah. So That's awesome. And it's, it's the last thing you just said, and I, I wrote this down earlier, expectations. Mm-hmm right in the ego the ego and how that ties to expectations and i think just like how i talked about how i've heard like jujitsu can really humble a person can mm-hmm. really show you you know how, that you can get your ass beat yeah you can also develop into this individual that can handle themselves uh-huh. um just how you know you're going to make mistakes that's going to humble yourself because you think that you're going to get to this destination mm-hmm. and realize you know, I'm not going to get there or maybe I have to change my, 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 my standards. Mm-hmm. And I think what art does too is it makes you probably, it makes you more comfortable and mm-hmm. confident in what you're actually capable of doing. Just like right. how I will go to my whiteboard and yep. really self-analyze. I feel like art is another way of doing that to be able to create mm-hmm. without expectation mm-hmm. and find satisfaction in whatever it is that ends up on yeah. that paper. Yeah, like you want to humble somebody, ask them to draw a nose. <laughs> no one can draw noses. Yeah. You know, like unless you've been taught how to draw a nose, nobody knows how to draw a nose. Yeah. Um, 
because it's about being taught how to see the thing and how to flatten it kind of in your mind and, and translate that to charcoal or pen or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think um, altering your expectations is a really mighty thing. Like Lee Krasner did not become Lee Krasner because she um, – because she she was an expert on day one she painted painting after painting after painting after painting um you know to become who she was and i think that that's uh actually there's a quote in a book called ninth street women um it's about uh the abstract expressionist women who uh are footnotes in history books that should be not footnotes and um a really incredible artist her name is helen frankenthaler basically says in the book she's like well i made jackson pollock's paintings until i made helen frankenthaler's paintings mm -hmm. right so it's it's the jujitsu thing it's it's you are you are a novice until you become master and you echo what masters do until you become that person yourself so um altering expectations and then um, I also think imitation in art is, is uh, very helpful until you figure out what you're truly trying to say. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So is there anything else with art? We have about 10 minutes left. I don't, you know, I think just making sure that you're, you're digging into your local community is probably yeah. one of the best recommendations I can give. Um, and if you're looking to be like educated on art, you know, podcast youtube your local arts center like those things are resources um yep. so remove those barriers for yourself yep check out artsy fartsy yeah um all right so i guess we're we want to go just like the foundations just kind of like summarizing it you know community those people around you empathy understanding mm -hmm. um challenging yourself to create and then being able to be aggressive but flexible, being mm -hmm. able to pivot, be nimble, altering expectations. I think those are all things that we captured. Um, and then I think to really highlight, I think the, the one thing that will always stick with me about you, dignity, empathy, confidence, respect. Mm -hmm. Those are four elements that when I think of Jamie, I don't think I'll ever be able to forget those <laughs> because I think that drives who you are, what you're trying to do. Um, and really creates the success that you're having in life and the success that I also want to say that you're trying to create for others. Mm -hmm. You've talked about opening the door or, you know, doors have been open for you. How do you keep those open for people that are different from you? And I think that's something where I'm sure my next question will get into it a little bit. Um, but what I want to hear now is where to next, you know, where to next, what does Jamie want to do next? Um, so what are you thinking? <laughs> I literally you thinking? wrote ha 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 on that question because uh, I don't know always. You know, I feel like um, in my low confidence days, I feel like I peaked too soon. Yeah. Like uh, suddenly at age 30, I do have the letter CEO behind my name. And what do you do after that? Right. The yeah. journey to the C-suite is like something people talk about. All the time. Um, in fact, I gave a Pecha Kucha on it once. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's a, that's a tough one because it's about defining personal success, right? Yeah. So, um, and to be really frank, I don't think about success all that often. Um, 
I mostly am thinking about like how hungry I am most days, right? Like, you know, like it, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the capacity of the things that I think about, it's, it's a, it's what's the next right step. Right. And yep. I, I think that's from a Disney movie. I think that's from frozen. Um, that's all right. It, which is great. Great movie. Um, so what's the next right step is probably something I think about more than like, what is success next? Yeah. Um, I love teaching. Um, so I, I think like if I, if I ever take another step or if I take a step away from nonprofits, it would probably be an investment in teaching. Um, I also, uh, think a lot about a PhD. Um, and I think that that's like ego and competition. Uh, my brother recently got a master's degree and now I'm not the only one in our family who has a master's degree. And I'm kind of like, well, um, so there's a little bit of competition in that, but it's also like a, a deep love of learning. I love um, reading. I love writing. I love abstract thoughts and ideas. Um, and I like putting them into concrete practice, which feels like a PhD to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've looked at a couple different schools. Uh, I found a program I love in Ohio, but I really hate Ohio. So <laughs> um, sorry to your Ohio listeners. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I did take the GRE last year. Uh, I did a terrible job at it. GRE sucks. Oh, my God. Well, and I've been in – I spent seven years in college as an artist, which is totally not uh, translative. Is that a word? Uh, it is now. It is now. It, it does not translate to the GRE. No. At all. Yeah, the GRE is like – you know vocabulary language math i mean like trigonometry geometry Stuff and then you write I some essays learned. like you're not you're not making a sculpture you're not painting you know right. nothing that you have right really emphasized in your educational uh, experience in the last you know the last seven years of it yeah and i did i did actually pretty well on um you know on the vocabulary you know like I, I know what the word pernicious means, right? So, like, I did fine there, but it was this math stuff, and I, I actually did, like, a prep course in it, and my husband was, like, looking over my shoulder, helping with math, and I was like, I have never seen this type of graph, like, in my life. Like, what is this nonsense? Yeah. So, um, that's a barrier. Yeah. Uh. So, you know, I, I really do like the idea of, of um, devoting myself to a research project, um, maybe something that correlates nonprofit work or community work to art making um, uh, or understanding of visual language within a community. Um, I think so. I, I, that feels like a very um, like that feels like a very intuitive next step. So, yeah. Awesome. So two more questions. Yeah. Well, actually, one more question and sure. then uh, just giving you an opportunity to have, have the floor for oh, a minute. As if I haven't had it this whole time. <laughs> true. Very true. Just in another – you'll have the floor in another another respect. Sure. Um, I like to ask this question and, and sometimes I, I, I think to myself, do I go here? Do I not? But I will because mm-hmm. this is my podcast, so I'm going to. Yes, it is. At some point, we're going to take our last breath. Our eyes will shut for the last time and that – that is a reality that every single one of us face. And it's mm-hmm. something that I, I think about often, but not, not because I'm fearful of it, but mm-hmm. because I want to make sure when that moment happens that I can say I lived a life of, of fulfillment mm-hmm. and not of regret. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, you know, 
I often think about like legacy, especially. Sure. So what is it, you know, for you, what legacy do you want to live behind? You know, I, I hope that I left the world a better place than what I found it. Um, and I think that's just about it. I know that sounds probably kind of cheesy um, and uh, maybe a little bit lame after we've like dug into like faith and hunger and all of these other things. Yeah. But um, the reason people have children in my mind is because they think the world is going to be better. Like, why else would you have children? Like, yeah. that that to me is just operating on this factor of hope. You think that, and if you have grandchildren then too, you think the world is going to be better, right? It's not because you think, like, every day has been so spectacular. I want to share this exact thing. You know, and maybe that is. I'm not a parent. But the reason I think people believe in the future is because they think it's going to get better. So... Um, I, I jokingly like say stuff, that's what my epitaph will say all the time, you know, like she was hungry or like, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, but like, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't want a tombstone. I don't really think a funeral sounds great. Uh, uh, I just kind of hope that like what I did, um, will last. And that I did the right things, right? Like, the future may show out that, that I didn't do the right things. Um, but I hope that the world knows that, like, I had good intentions and that I fought for the people that needed fighting for and that I left the door open. Um, and not just the door, like, each door. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like, the next person who worked the overnights at the group home in South Dakota... Um, had the door open for more dignity for those people and for themselves that when I left the door open and I left the internship an artist in residence program that um the internship got better and it built up to a bigger thing that touched more people I hope that when I leave big brothers big sisters someday that the next person who comes through um may be an atypical hire like I was you know, like hiring an artist, I think, was actually very risky on behalf of my board. Um, uh, the resume that I submitted was a really weird one for the job that I have. Yeah. So maybe that 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 atypical hire could be the next person who serves more kids, you know, so um, or the person who solves all mentoring issues in Washington County and then we no longer exist. Uh, my board president's going to hate that sentence, but. You know, it's all good. Yeah. So to end it, what else do you want to share with the world? Advice, oh, guidance. Oh man. What the floor is yours? Anything. See, see, that's a hard one to say. Like, hey, what's your guidance? Like, it's totally different to be like, what's your experience? But like, what's your guidance? Like, yep. th- maybe that's where my ego stops. Um, <laughs> we found it. The threshold. Um, I just find your tribe everybody you know and i know tribe is uh, not a great term so find your village is probably a better one um the people that guard your heart and make sure that when your cup is empty that um it can get refilled and force you to refill it and love you through all of the bs and 
um, fight for that future that we all are looking for. I think at this moment in time, there's so many people on like in this black or white, like siloed world. And I don't think it's just in the United States, right? It's global. Um, I really find that interesting because I actually don't think we're as siloed as, as we think. And I think that um, in general, we all want equity. It's just about how you're fighting for it. And if you can find the empathy to see where equity isn't happening, right? So it, mm-hmm. it, I, I find that really, really interesting and complex. Um, and I think if you have the right village around you, if you can look around you and say that every single person that you know and love is is aligning to this, and if they're not, can you support them or can you help them connect? Um, because human connection is so valuable. Um, I think you're going to get there, you know? Yeah. We're all going to get there. Awesome. <laughs> Beautifully said. Soapbox off. Well, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's all. That's all I got. Yeah, thanks, Max. Um, And I hope your listeners aren't too tired of my soapbox. Nah, the last one was like four hours long. So this is (laughs) this one was under two. So they can handle it. We did it. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Have a good time. Yep.